Bienvenidos. Welcome. This is Dr. Leslie Sedley's licensed clinical psychologist. And my name is Denise Cantor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And we are your therapist friends. Hi, Leslie. Good morning. <laughs> good morning. How are you? I'm good. Tired, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you? Um, I'm experiencing some anxiety. <laughs> As we as mm-hmm. get closer to March, just the thought of it, I think I start reliving the little events that were kind of leading up to the beginning of the pandemic. And that anxiety actually led me to come up with the idea of talking about pandemic mental health and, and the experience of having to go through a lockdown, through stay-at-home orders, and how all of that has affected our mental health. Before we get started on the nitty gritty of the mental health stuff though, you know, when we try to process trauma, we talk a lot about actually processing the event. We allow our patients to tell us the story. It helps the person gain ownership over what happened and not feel as powerless. When they tell you their story and their experience of it, it helps regain power over what happened, but it also helps make sense of what happened. So, because this was a traumatic incident for a lot of us, let's talk about the story of the pandemic and how we experienced it and how it began. For me, it was something that was over there and not here at home. And I would hear all those stories and I thought, oh, that's so sad for all the other people that are going through this. And then slowly it came home. It happened here. So I was wondering if you could tell us your experience of that. It's interesting because this is not just a traumatic thing that only happened to us last year. Like this is something that's still going on and has spilled over into this year. You know, it is sort of a perfect time, I think, to reflect and think about what's happened. And to be honest, like, I I feel like my coping and defense mechanisms kind of made me just forget or not be as present with what was happening at the time. And so this is actually my first time sitting and really trying to process and think about it. So... Mm-hmm. I also had a similar experience where I felt like this is something that's not happening here. It's not happening in my family. It's not happening in my community. So, you know, there's a little bit of ignorance that goes along with that, right? Like, oh, it's it's not happening to me, so it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a problem to think that way. However, I think in the moment, it was helping me kind of not freak out. which I think is relatively healthy. But once things kind of started escalating and it did come here, I was confused. I was confused about what was happening. And I, I, in some ways, still feel kind of like this is a dream, like it's not happening. And I think that is my trauma response, you know, of like, this is not real. (laughs) But I feel like it escalated pretty pretty quickly because of, you know, obviously external external things in, in our country and, mm-hmm. you know, not taking things seriously kind of trickle down to us. And so 
when we were faced with that lockdown, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, why, why are we closing? And I was afraid. And at the time I was working at a group practice and I even remember like maybe the day, the day or two after the lockdown, I was like, I'm not going into work. Like I'm not going into actual physically seeing people like, and I had already set us up to see people virtually, but I think I was still being asked to kind of go into the space, right. To, to work. And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> Especially cause I don't live alone. And I, I, that is something on my mind. Like I don't want to bring something home. So it was, it was scary. And then having to still work, you know, under such amount of stress and confusion. And it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with and try to even process in the moment. And I don't think I was processing it. I think I was, my fight or flight definitely got kicked in. And I think it's still kicked in. And I'm still just trying to survive. And I think we all are. It was just, it was confusing. It was weird. It was like, what is it was like something out of a movie? And I think I just continued to work, you know, from home. And that was a whole other thing, you know, working from home, especially not living on my own and living with other people is also a transition and has its own amount of stress. And then also a transition of our work because our work is so unique. There are a lot of things that are unsaid when you're with someone, just that physical presence and the nonverbal cues that come up in conversations. That was a, a transition for me as a therapist to then start doing work online and get it adjusted to that with, with the limitations of what virtual therapy is like. So honestly, I think now when I'm sitting, like that was the very beginning. And then the rest honestly seems like a blur to me. And I can't believe that we are so close to being a year now in this situation. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I have no words. Did you ever have that moment? Have you had that moment yet where you say, oh, this is real? Yes. I think like as I was going through it and like anytime I would go out, I would like wear a mask, obviously. And especially I think in the beginning, I would wear gloves. Like I was super, you know, like I understood the severity of it. And then I think I got taxed. Like I got tired of that. And then I was still wearing a mask, but I think, and I was still washing my hands and still, you know, using hand sanitizer. But I think at a certain point I was like those, that sort of keeping myself on that alert was really exhausting. And I ended up getting COVID. I don't know how I got it. I was very, like I had taken all the precautions that I think that I did. And I, you know, go back and forth between like, well, could I have done more? Like, what what did I do wrong? So, and that was towards the end of last year. And that's actually how I entered this year, <laughs> um, going through COVID and, and seeing everybody's response also who I was living with to that made it real, real, because it was in my house now and I was a carrier and it's it's hard. I wonder if it happens in layers, like in waves, like, mm -hmm. oh, it's real. And then you would kind of adjust and then you go, oh, it's real, real. <laughs> and then you adjust. When I'm reflecting on it, I'm thinking, I think I've had a few of those moments 
what it feels real. Not in not in the sense of I never thought that COVID was a thing, but I always thought mm. COVID is real, but it's over there. Right. right. It's not really yeah. affecting my life. Like I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Outside of all the technical stuff of having to work from home, it's it's over there. And it, it happens in waves. For me, when it first began, I remember I remember listening to the news late December, early January of you know, 2019, 2020. And it was sad. There were a lot of sad stories coming out. And I would just feel really bad. You know, and I and I thought, oh, that's so sad over there. <laughs> it's so hard over there. Yeah. And then I was working at a group practice. We were given the choice of continuing to go into the office around, I want to say maybe like the first week of March was when they sent out an email and they said, if you feel comfortable going to the office, you can. We were, we were all given company laptops. So they were like, if you don't want to work from home, you're more than welcome to do that. And that was the first, already the first week of March, but I felt comfortable. Again, it felt very like over there. It was here in LA, but I didn't know anybody that had gotten it. People still weren't really sure that it was a actually here, what any numbers or any information about it. Just what had mm-hmm. happened in, in China. That's all that I knew. And there was no city or state ordinances for how to handle this. It was just something that was happening mm-hmm. and everybody was kind of trying to deal with it the best way they could. So I decided to continue to go into the office, but we were cleaning everything. We didn't really know how bad it was. And I think the first time that I had that holy shit moment was when my client canceled last minute. They texted me and they said, hey, one of my coworkers tested positive. This was a Thursday client. And I and so I had already seen them a week ago. And they said that they tested their their coworker tested positive on Wednesday. So I so. I had seen them during that window of time Mm -hmm. at this time. Again, there was no testing. So I kind of had to just go with it. And then I had to text all of my clients and I had, I said, and I said, that's it. Like no one is coming in anymore. We had to close down the whole practice because I shared an office. So it was just, that's it. And so that was my first, this is a real moment because someone I knew knew someone who had it and yeah, now we really, really can't go into the office. That was it. We closed all the offices. I went to working from home and that was my first, this is real moment. And then I adjusted to working from home. I think I've been one of the most privileged or, you know, in that group of the most privileged because I'm all right. I work from home. My, I live with my partner. He is and everyone who listens to the podcast will hear me gush about them all the time. But I, I love my partner so much. They're my best friend. So all my needs are met. All my emotional needs are being met here in this place. I, I miss my parents. I love them so much. For the first couple months, I did not see them. But I would video, I would call them and I would do like the Google Duo and everything. So I felt good. I felt okay and I've been okay. And I think I just kind of moved into my little bubble. My my partner's also a scientist. So he had access to gloves, to, you know, all of these uh, 
disinfectants because he works in a lab so everything's super clean there they gave us masks i have access to not the n95 masks but the ones right after that they recommend that you have mm -hmm. we have access to that because he works in a lab and it's very you know it's medical e so i've been really lucky i've felt really safe i felt that all my questions about the virus have been answered because i get to ask him about it and i'm in my bubble my second wave of this is real came in the summer things were being opened up and i'm i'm an anxious person so i didn't think it was a good idea but i think in midsummer there were all this still the numbers were coming out and it didn't feel very good and there was a lot of talk of going into a second lockdown and i think in that moment i thought wow this is taking on forever like this is the summer i know things are opening up but it's the summer and the numbers are going up so there's no way that this is going to get better anytime soon and so at that moment this idea of like oh my god we're stuck like this for the rest the rest of the year because when it first started we were like let's do you know a month or two we'll see how it goes and then it was extended and then it was extended and then extended next thing i know it's yeah the middle of summer and, and the numbers aren't looking good and i'm thinking this is the rest of our lives for this year this is what it's going to look like and that was my second wave. And then I think my third wave came during the holidays when you disclosed that you had tested positive. I had, I want to say two or three of my friends also testing positive. And we've been super careful. I mean, I don't go out and see people. So I don't, I've been at very minimal risk of catching it, but still knowing someone and I think that was that was probably the third wave for me of, holy shit, this is real. I agree with that. It does come in waves. And I think when we're talking about trauma, that is a common sort of, I think, response for, for people. It's like, for some, I think there is some, I don't know what really how to call it, but there's some time, right, after like a specific event. And in this particular situation, situation it's special in that, it's, it was an ongoing thing, right? It wasn't just like one thing happened and that was it. Because of that and also all of the other things that were happening last year, so social unrest, things that were happening with the government and still continuing to happen, there was a constant sort of readjusting to like something new, new information and readjusting to that, a new situation, hearing someone getting COVID in your environment and adjusting to that. And so... I resonate with that quite a bit that there was always just this constant sort of adjustment to something, whether that's from working from home, whether that's like trying to figure out your schedule and keep it stable. You know, I know that there's like, at least with my patients, I know that that was getting all kinds of messed up, sleep schedules, eating schedules, especially for kids that were doing social distance learning and then parents. And it's just like all these things and layers required, I think, a lot of readjusting to the particulars of those layers that you're talking about that I would say is is well-researched, I think, in, in, in terms of trauma work, how, how it kind of goes. And so it makes sense to me now even thinking about like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to note that we're still in it. So there's also yeah. this constant level of anxiety. And on in connection to trauma and how that affects our body 
we've talked about how our body will get stuck in that trauma response of constantly, you know, being hypervigilant, of of feeling anxious and restless. There is a disruption in our sleep and eating patterns. And that's okay. (laughs) When I meet with my patients, sometimes they say, I'm still feeling anxious. I'm still having a hard time. And I say, yeah, because we're in the middle of it still. (laughs) My goal for you isn't for you to feel completely great because it's a natural trauma response. But if you are, if you feel like you're dealing with it great and you're not having too much anxiety, great. But you might still be having some of it, anxiety here and there, because this is an anxiety-inducing situation. And just like you mentioned, thing after thing after thing was happening last year. Very difficult news, heartbreaking news. And there was no escaping it because there was no work for you to get lost in. There were no hanging out with friends that you can get distracted with. You had to pay attention to it because our connection right now to everybody is our computers, it's our phones. And what's in our computers and what's in our phones? The news, right? People on social media were talking about all of this stuff all the time because it was happening. And so it's hard to escape from stuff like that. So yeah, we're going to experience those levels of anxiety. I know I've had a certain level of anxiety just kind of ongoing (laughs) since the start we are very privileged in that we had we there are ways that we could minimize our risk right because of the particulars of of our resources and that is not true for everyone right not like people who were just losing their jobs and even just now looking at the statistics of who is getting covid and the mortality rate and seeing that our black and brown communities are being so heavily impacted. It just sort of adds to the complexity, I think, of like how everybody's responding to this situation because of also lack of resource. That's not their fault. But I just even think of, you know, our, our immigrant folks that lost their jobs and didn't have, you know, recourse, you know, for EDD. And like they don't get unemployment. They don't get benefits, you know, that other people do. And it's a whole lot of just complicated, sad, grief, trauma. It's like anxiety. It's all of it, you know. And it doesn't surprise me that the statistics for mental health risk increase, especially for our black and brown communities, incidences of mental illness, substance abuse, even suicidality. You know, this is a, a serious issue that's impacting us globally. We had the opportunity to work from home and feel safe, but a lot of the people in our community don't have that choice. There's people who have to go to work. Our people are the people who tend to work essential jobs, the groceries, janitorial services. I know a lot of colleagues whose parents work cleaning in the hospitals and they are very much at risk and there's so much anxiety about it. I think one of them had to be separated from their family. Like their mom had to like sleep in a hotel because it was getting so bad. And all of that is so traumatic because we are social beings and we require connection. And when we have to isolate like this, especially when it's an extreme isolation, it can trigger a lot because it isn't just this, I'm far away from, from you, the person that I care for, but it's also risky and I don't know if you're okay and I I can't do anything to protect you. It's this overwhelming sense of, of hopelessness, which is one of the, one of the elements of 
trauma. Trauma happens when we're put in a very scary situation in which we feel helpless. That's how we get stuck in that response because our brain is so overwhelmed and doesn't feel like it can go anywhere that is safe. It's just constantly feeling unsafe. And there is very little that we can do in this situation except stay at home and try to take care of ourselves and protect each other. It's a lot of sitting with sitting with that because, you know, when we're talking about anxiety and, and, and work in therapy, it's about kind of challenging, you know, um, thoughts and challenging beliefs that maybe don't serve you well. But when we're talking about trauma or when we're talking about real events, like we can't challenge the fact that there's a pandemic. Like we can't change that. That's not something, it's something external out to pretty significantly out of our control in certain ways. And so it does take a toll on your mental health and it does make you feel like you're helpless because in some ways we are, (laughs) in some ways we are. And that is a really hard pill to swallow. And I would agree with you that we are social beings. And if there is something that I feel like I've taken away from this situation is how much we need each other to survive. It's taken a lot of creativity to try to maintain that connection, which is particularly difficult for communities of color because we are, our cultures are collective cultures and our family is so important and we have big families. So when we, when we say like, I'm just going to see my siblings, there's like five of them. And so it's hard. It's hard to social distance. It's it's hard not to see our family because our family is everything. It's the core for for a lot of our cultures. And it's so it's just it adds another layer of like another challenge. What are some things like in your work do you feel that were common themes for brown folks, you know, that are your clients, like in terms of Knowing that family is important at this time, what were some like themes that kind of kept coming up that were struggles? It's a spectrum. I've worked with people who are following all of the regulations and suggestions to a T, and they didn't see their family, and there was a lot of depression there. There's a lot of anxiety because, again, our, our family is everything. And even when we have complicated relationships with our parents and our siblings, again, Family is so important to us. It, it's our connection to the world. It's It helps us define our relationship to other people around us and to the world around us to feel a sense of belonging, right? This is our community. This is our people. This is our family. And not being able to have that was difficult, particularly during the holidays. And there was also a lot of guilt of I'm saying no to all these things. And particularly when they were the only one or one of the very few people who are saying no to family gatherings. It, it was like, I look like a horrible person because I decided not to go, but all my siblings are going and they're thinking I'm sensitive or muy dramática or, you know, very dismissive. And so there was a lot of guilt, anxiety, a lot of shame, a lot of depression when for people who, who really wanted to protect themselves and the people that they love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of apart from maybe some of the depression and anxiety um, that was coming up from the situation and continues to come up for the situation, I think what you're saying too is like the boundaries getting tested and 
I would say that that is kind of like a, a, a thing that, you know, we struggle with in the community sometimes, like setting boundaries and respecting boundaries. But that even more so with the situation will cause a lot of stress for folks, like being able to say no to family gatherings or also the grief and disappointment in not participating in stuff and still watching other family members have parties and gatherings and with elderly. And so like, it was, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. There was anger and frustration. Yeah. Disappointment. Mm-hmm. I'm also kind of hearing us talk about it as if it's over, but it's not <laughs> like we were just saying like there was, but actually there still is, you know, I think. Mm-hmm. which is an interesting kind of thing that I'm noticing. It it was heightened more during the holidays. That's why it feels like it was, Mm -hmm. but there's definitely, it's still definitely going on. And that's also another experience that was very unique because we were learning how to manage this pandemic while also trying to help other people manage this pandemic. (laughs) Unique (laughs) experience. Yes. Very unique. And everything else that came from it too the Black Lives Matter movement, the, the, the politics. <laughs> we were experiencing it at the same time. And it was about, I really, really have to take care of myself because I need to make sure that I'm present for my patients. Most of us therapists do try to do self-care as much as we can. But I think particularly, even more so during some points in the, the year prior to this that we're just hard so hard but I felt motivated in that I could provide that space for someone even though I know I was struggling obviously at the same time having that human connection was beneficial in both ways both sides but yeah it was definitely a very unique (laughs) I think time to be doing the work that we do Mm -hmm. so Mm self-care has been extremely important and being aware of what's been going on for us. What has helped you during this time to help your anxiety? Or maybe something that has helped your patients? I'm biased, obviously, but therapy (laughs) is going to be number one. (laughs) Container for the container, you know, having, having my own space to talk about and reflect on my own experiences has been extremely, extremely beneficial and helpful for me. And it always has been, but I think particularly last year, I really needed it. I think what's helped me too is to just kind of be kinder, kinder to myself and being realistic about my limits and capacities with things. So like, there were times where I was like, I need to wake up at this time, or I need to do this or like trying to still hold on to like some semblance of like normalcy by having a structure. And although I think that is really beneficial, sometimes I was just really tired. And I needed that extra hour of sleep or I needed to take that break and drink some water or not do any work or forget about it, you know, and do some of the distraction things that I think help with like maintaining your health. But I think also reflection time with therapy helped a lot. I did do things that I wanted to really do that I haven't had had the time to do. I'm really into like horror films and and scary films. And so like sometimes I would have like movie marathons and I really enjoyed that. (laughs) And yeah, I think, I think it's spending time with myself 
and like being okay with that also I think was really beneficial and I think try again being creative with staying connected with others in in whatever way shape or form and I think that's been really helpful for my patients as well to try to stay connected to something or someone even if that is therapy you know like even if that is the only kind of social contact because everybody's particulars are different but yeah being realistic mm-hmm. being realistic and being kind to yourself is one of the big major themes yeah that's my favorite thing to recommend for everything <laughs> just be kind to yourself yes right? like see where you're at and then try to come up with a goal from there, right? Instead of saying, I want to do all of these things, but your body's telling you that it doesn't want to, or it's not ready to do it. Listen to it. It's okay. What stood out to me was when you said learning how to be by yourself, because as you all know, I do have a video on (laughs) learning how to be alone without feeling lonely. The reason I thought that I was useful to create was because I've had to go back to some of those things because I live with someone who, as everybody knows, I'm over the moon about. But that's important too. It's learning to give each other that alone time because that self-reflection, the letting emotions kind of pass through me to de-stress, that's important too, to do by myself so that I can be present for my partner. That, and, I, and I recommend that to people who live with family, even if it's not your partner, making sure that you're having a space that is yours, even if it's just your bed, your, the corner of your bed, perhaps, because not everybody has their own room or in the backyard or go to the park and make that space for yourself so that you can recharge. You have that space to really just think your thoughts away from someone else. And that makes us more present for other people because we can come at them knowing who we are and what we feel and what our needs are. So I think that's been really helpful for me too. I have to confess, there are days where I don't leave my house. Good. (laughs) At the beginning of the (laughs) pandemic, that was very, very good. They didn't want us going anywhere. But as time passed, I realized that not leaving my house at all, I was leaving my house once a week to get groceries. And that's still true. I, we still only shop for groceries just one day. But I've been trying to make it a point of at least every other day, leave my house and get fresh air. <laughs> because I'm working a lot. I have a lot of really exciting projects that I love to spend all of my time doing. But I have to be intentional about saying, okay, hey, you have to stop now and take a break. Even if you don't want to, I know this is fun, but you have to stop and listen to your body and take care of your body so that you can continue to put in all that time into these projects. And so listening to my body, being kind to myself, spending time alone, going outside is important, especially when we're in our houses all the time for anybody who isn't able to. I think that's really helped. And refocusing my mind into what I do have control over. It's really helpful for us when we're experiencing anxiety, particularly in situations like this where so much is out of our control. Big picture. The pandemic is not in our hands. How many people go out is not in our hands. Who is getting vaccinated is not in our hands. But what we do have power over is how we're managing our own mental health and our own situation. So... I think being mindful of that is 
this is really important to help myself. Okay, I get frustrated when I see my family members or my friends or someone I know at parties or not caring. I can't control that. But what I can do is I can continue to take my precautions and be as careful as I can because I want to be able to say when all of this is over that I did my part and I did my best. I did what I could. And that's all for my people. Because to touch back on what you had said about who is being affected the most, it's black and brown communities. And it's frustrating because it has to do with so much systemic racism and institutionalized racism. But that's not in my hands. So the best that I can do Mm -hmm. is make sure that I'm being as careful as possible so that I'm not taking it into my communities and to get vaccinated. That's also a decision that I made. I'm going to do it because if I can be part of what helps to stop this spreading from our communities, I will. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Just focus on what I can control. That's mindfulness. And that's a huge, huge thing that I talk about in therapy a lot too. Refocusing your attention to the now. What can you do now? And I would agree that actually one of the things that has been helpful for me in addition to the things that I listed was the same, like going like safely, obviously having my own space. I've taken hikes by myself and I even downloaded like an app because I mean, everybody goes to like the same spots around where I live, like in Hollywood, everyone goes to Runyon, everyone goes to Griffith Park. And so I was trying to find like different spots. And so I downloaded this app, All Trails. This is not a paid advertisement, by the way. <laughs> but I downloaded <laughs> But if they want, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I downloaded that app. I-, I think there was like a two month span where I was like, I want to go to places that have waterfalls. So I did that for myself to spend some time alone and like really just sit and be one with myself and also really take in a different environment because like being inside these four walls is tough. It's really tough and it takes a toll on you. So it was nice to be outside, breathing some fresh air, having some movement. And also, I think I was on a kick of like working out. So I was doing like in-home workouts and that was helpful because I was doing it with other people in my household. So I wasn't alone in that aspect and it was motivating But it did help release, you know, some tension that I was carrying with me every day. And I think, yeah, like you were saying, having space to yourself in whatever capacity, whatever way you can, if you don't live alone, I think particularly was important to just have a peace of mind. And on the flip side, if you do live alone, yeah, to make sure that you're also being intentional about making connections with people. So schedule those Zoom calls. I always tell my patients, listen... Pick four friends and have them, each of those four friends per week, right? So that means that each of these friends really only have to see you once a month, but you get a weekly touch touch base with somebody. And if you have more friends, do that. Reach out to family members, distant cousins, people you don't haven't spoken to in a while, but would like to schedule them in <laughs> so that you can feel your week if you need more than one Zoom call or FaceTime. I think I'm not sure if I already shared this in a previous episode, but something that I did to keep in touch with my friends was I made like a little kit of snacks that we could eat while we were on our Zoom calls. So I drove around all of LA County 
delivering all these little baskets and that made me feel connected to them. I, I mean, I didn't get to like hug them or talk to them or anything, but when I saw them on zoom and they had their little kids, I was like, I made that. <laughs> and the fact that we were meeting on zoom was also really, really special. And we're all super busy, but we try our best to try to do the zoom, you know, at least once every three months or so, so that we are still touching base. So again, being intentional and being creative about how you can get close to people uh, virtually. (laughs) Being intentional and also like touching in with your sense of balance with that, because I also kind of think that there is a particular way that our mental health has also been impacted based on our personality and our level Mm -hmm. of socialization. So some people are more extroverted and some people are more introverted or some people are ambiverts. And so I think particularly people who are extroverted and really they, they get fed with energy, being around others has been particularly impacted by having to stay alone in if they live alone or even just isolation or quarantine. And then I think the same could be true for people who are maybe more traditionally introverted, like maybe it was too much, you know, too much being alone. And so it does take some being intentional about the balance there of what it is that you need. And that's going to help you stay motivated, stay connected in taking care of yourself, knowing how you are, right? Like if you're someone that you know, you need to have that communication or phone call. Yeah. Schedule, schedule that, or like make that happen for yourself and for the people around you. Also checking in on other people around you and checking in on those that you care about, I think is important for us to stay connected because as my series on suicide prevention, there's a lot of people that don't say that they're struggling and they might be. And as this whole conversation is about how, yes, all of us are struggling to one in one degree or another. And so it does take some balance. And I don't think there's one right or wrong answer to take care of ourselves during this time, because this has never happened to us, I think, in this generation. And so we're all just trying to figure it out. Just be kind to yourself and listen to what your body is asking you for, whether that's rest or going outside, talking to less people, talking to more people, whatever it is that your body needs in a way that is still keeping you safe and it keeps other people safe as well. Mm-hmm. This is all about compassion. And who knows how much longer this is going to go for. So continue to take care of yourself because it's important. And a lot of these skills, hopefully, that you're learning, you'll continue to do even when you have to go back to work and you are able to see other people. Continue to make sure that you're taking care of your mental health and that you're listening to your body. Yeah, mental health doesn't equal absence of anxiety, absence of depression, absence of all of that. It's It includes all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's about management. Mm-hmm. And it's okay, again, it's okay if you're feeling overwhelmed. It's okay if it's this hard because it is. And I wanted to point out since you're mentioning anxiety, in connection to trauma, anniversaries are triggers. So if you are experiencing a higher level of anxiety than you have, it's okay. It's normal. It's part of why I wanted to have this conversation it's going to come up for us. So yeah, as we get closer to it, it's going to feel, it might feel like it's happening again and your anxiety is going to go up and that's okay. What's important is to listen to your body and, and give it what it needs. And we definitely would love to hear ways that you've been taking care of yourself and showing up for yourself 
this last year and continuing to do so. You know, I think in community, when we share the things that help us, you know, we're helping each other out at the same time, too. So I'm sure there's lots of other creative ways that we didn't mention that you have been putting into practice. And let us know. I'm also curious to know about our listeners' experience. If they've had the waves of, holy shit, this is real. How many have you had and when did they happen for you? (laughs) Make sure to let us know. We're on Instagram at my therapist friends comment below dm us join us let's continue this conversation like we said we want to create a community and we want to have a conversation conversations are two ways so hop on instagram and and let us know we'd love to hear thank you guys for listening hay los vidrios hay los vidrios